Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from a special guest speaker. Well, good morning. I will say that my entrance was a little less dramatic than Steve's, but I'll be able to walk later this afternoon, so I'm thankful for that. It is such a pleasure for me to be here with you this morning, and I just want to bring you greetings from my wife, Kirsten, and our three children, Marin, Reese, and Carlson. We have been KPC partners with you in missions for almost 12 years. So we just want to say thank you to you for the way that you have loved our family, that you've given, that you have prayed, and that you've supported us. For 10 years in France as church planters, and for these last two years where we've been here in the U.S., where we have been working on things like getting a nonprofit set up in the U.K., working on visas, doing work on our team, getting ready to go to Edinburgh, Scotland. So I was with you last July and I was able to tell you that we were in process of planting a missional community called East Mountain. And East Mountain is a community that is gonna be for European national Christian leaders. Our desire as a community is to see European nationals, Christian leaders trained, We want to see them connected to their own hearts, to God, and to each other, a place of refreshment so that revival can happen in Europe in our day. That's our heart, that's our prayer, that's what we're going to do in Scotland. And I can give you the good news today that as of a few months ago, our uh, organization, East Mountain, was set up in the UK as a nonprofit, and we gained the ability to invite migrant workers like ourselves to come into the UK. So as we speak, our dossier is at the consulate in New York for the British government, and barring any issues, and we don't think there will be any, prayerfully, we should be getting our visas back within about a week, week and a half or so, and we have tickets to fly on July the 3rd. So, praise the Lord. So we're getting ready to go. And we're excited about that, and we just cover your prayers as we continue on this journey. So I want to say that last week, I think it was, or a week and a half ago, Kirsten and I had dinner at a Mexican restaurant with uh, two friends who are long-term members here at KPC. One of them was just up here praying for me, Scott and Karen. And as we're sitting at this restaurant, Scott leaned over and said, hey, you know, what are you going to preach on at KPC in a little while? I said, you know, you should really preach that sermon again that you preached last July, which was called Mercy in the Meantime. Why don't you just preach that one again? And as tempting as it is for me to just kind of polish off an oldie but a goodie, I resisted that temptation. I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, this is, the, this is the problem you have with inviting a guy to come like once a year, once every couple of years, is you either get one of these sermons that gets polished off in the file, that gets brought back, or you get a sermon from where the preacher is in that immediate moment, something that God is doing in the preacher's life right then. And this sermon is definitely one of those. So it's also a sermon that I would call a sequel to the one that I preached last July. So if you weren't here in July, or if you've forgotten it like apparently Steve has, couldn't remember the name, like any good TV serial, I'm gonna give you a breathless recap. So last July, I preached this sermon out of Exodus chapter 2. And in Exodus 2, it's a story of Moses. Moses, who has just killed an Egyptian. He's fled Egypt. He's headed east. And he ends up by a well in Midian, where he meets a girl, marries into her family, 
and then begins 40 years as a shepherd in this meantime period in Midian. So in that sermon last July, I connected this meantime period in the life of Moses to the mean times that we can often experience in our lives. Times of dryness, times of desert wandering that can often seem mean. Times where God can seem absent. And in that sermon last July, I said there are a couple things that we need to do in those dry mean times. One is that we need to stay connected to the vine. We have to stay connected to Christ, otherwise we'll be lost in that wilderness. Secondly, we need to keep working for the kingdom. We can't just sit and sulk. We need to have our waters be refreshed, otherwise they become dead waters. We need to keep working. And finally, and most importantly, we need to receive God's mercy in our meantimes. And for those of you who are here, you remember that I played a song by a group called Mr. Mister from the 1980s, a song called Kyrie which literally means Lord. And the song goes on, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy on us in our meantime and dry places. We need to receive God's mercy in the meantime. So today I want to build on that story in Exodus 2, and I want to take it a few chapters forward, chapters 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus, because I want us to look and see what happens to Moses there. And as I was thinking about the name for this sermon title, Steve asked me the title, sent me a text this week. I was like, hmm, what can I call it? Well, I could honor our 10 years in France and call it Midian, part deux. (laughs) I decided against that. I thought, well, maybe I can go with the shameless 1980s theme I began with uh, Mr. Mister and call it Midian 2 Electric Boogaloo. Now, my kids actually hate that one because I use it for everything, and they have no idea what I'm referencing, and maybe some of you don't either, so see me afterwards on that one. I resisted those two names, and I landed on a title called Moving On from Midian. And the point of that is that after 40 years of in-between time, in this hard place, God propels Moses from Midian. He moves on from this desert place with a purpose, with a calling, with an encounter with God that changes him, and quite frankly, changes all of history. And as I told you, I feel today that I'm preaching out of my own immediate experience, because God is finally moving us out of a Midian place. But my prayer today for you is that you too will find yourself in this story with Moses, because for all of us, we've either been in a Midian place, we're right now in that hard in-between, or we've just moved out of that. So what can we learn from the life of Moses when God shows up in our meantimes and he propels us into this next phase of life? So turn with me in your Bibles, it's gonna be on the screen too. I'm gonna begin by reading from Exodus chapter three verses 1 through 15. And this is the story of Moses in his meantime. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. 
why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and will bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, this is one of those big passages in the Bible, the kind you used to see in Sunday school put on flannel boards. Moses is here fully in this meantime period in his life. He's living as a shepherd. He is now the son-in-law of the priest of Midian, and this is his identity. He's no longer a priest of Egypt. He's no longer the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's not even really an Israelite at this point. He's just a stinky sheep herder. He's the son-in-law to Jethro. He's minding his own meantime business. He's tending his sheep with his staff in hand, and then, boom, God shows up. And we know this story well. I mean, this is the flannel graph part of it. There's a thorn bush that's on fire in the wilderness. And, you know, that's not so unusual. But this particular one is. The fire doesn't burn the wood. And out of that fire, God speaks to Moses, the shepherd of Midian. And God does it by telling him, take off your shoes. This ground is holy now. This ground that Moses may have trampled a thousand times with his sheep has now become holy. It's changed, and though he doesn't realize it, his life too has changed. 
it's now holy because God has shown up. And this is a point that I think that we need to remember always. The mundane is always transformed when God shows up. And the most wretched of in-between times is changed. The muck and the mire and the things that I can't mention on a Sunday morning sermon that we have to wade through at times is changed when God shows up. It becomes holy and the shoes come off. And then God introduces himself to Moses in verse 6. He says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in this one short verse, God does something extraordinary for Moses. He connects himself to Moses' personal and ethnic history. He says to him, I am the God of your father, not your father's. The Hebrew is very clear, it's singular. I'm the God of your father, Moses' immediate family. And then he says that he's the God of Moses' great ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And before God gets personal about who he is and giving him his own personal name, which he'll do in a few verses, he connects himself to Moses and he reestablishes Moses' identity. And I find this incredibly intimate of God. He's saying, Moses, I know you. I know where you come from. I know your history. And I know your people, even if you have forgotten it. You're not just a Midianite by marriage. You're not just a son-in-law of a priest. You're not just a shepherd. You are an Israelite of a grand lineage. Your people know me and I know you, and I care about you, and I care about the sufferings of my people, and I have come down and I am sending you." Ooh, that's heavy. Can you imagine what Moses had to be thinking in that moment? I mean, if I were Moses, I would be thinking, "What? Well, wait a second, Lord, I'm a shepherd now. I've been in Midian a good 40 years. That's most of my life. I've completely forgotten Egypt. That is the past. No turning back. No turning back. I've learned to live in this meantime, and I'm actually pretty okay with it. I'm comfortable. This is who I am now. And isn't that really what Moses does? In verse 11, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, I can appreciate that you're God, but... Who am I? Moses completely doubts he is who God says he is. And then in the passage there, we get this kind of really delightful and almost funny back and forth between Moses and God. And it uses a lot of the Hebrew verb to be. Moses says a lot of, well, who am I? And, but I, but I, but I. And then it culminates in verse 13 and 14, where Moses, still objecting, says, but uh, what if the Israelites ask me, who is this God you're talking about? What is his name? What do I tell them? And then God answers in verse 14 by personally introducing himself. Hello, my name is 
I am who I am. He tells Moses when they ask, tell them, I am has sent me to you. And God's I am trumps all of Moses's but eyes. You see, God's identity is key. It's the bedrock of everything. He is. And because he is Moses, and we can trust anything that he says about who we are. And all of this is the first key to moving on from Midian. Midian ends when God appears, when God shows up. And when God shows up, everything changes. The ground becomes holy, and God is. And he always begins by telling us that he is, and then he speaks about who we are. The new identity that he calls us into is grounded in his glory, in his power, and in his ability to do in us the things that we could never even dream that we could do. And I told you that this sermon was personal. I found this out in my own life in this last two years of Midian, of in-between. At two very particular instances in these last two years, God has shown up in my life in power. And each time he has spoken to me about who I am in accordance to who he is. And like Moses, I had a really hard time believing that what he said was true. So, I literally had them tattooed on my body. And I'm not kidding about that. And I don't know what you feel about tattoos. I know my mother-in-law is here, and she was horrified. <laughs> but I did not want to forget what God had said about who I was in him. Because it is so easy for me and for us and for Moses to fall back into doubting and fear. And we see that Moses actually does this as we go along in the passage. Now we go to chapter 4. In verses 1 through 5, we see that Moses continues to object, even after God has introduced himself, even after God has shown him who he is. We see his next objection. At the end of chapter 3, God has actually laid out for Moses what he's going to do. He's told him, I want you to go and I want you to talk to the Israelite elders, and they'll listen to you. And then he's promised him that he would give him a favorable audience with the Egyptians and with Pharaoh. So God lays this out for Moses. It's a divine plan and a divine promise. And yet Moses says this, beginning in verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back to a staff in his hand. 
This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And in this passage, we see the first of three miraculous signs that God shows and gives to Moses to essentially prop up his faith. But I think that this first one is the most significant, and it's the one that Moses actually uses before Pharaoh in his court. God uses Moses' staff. And why is this significant? I think it's significant because it is the very tool of the meantime life that Moses had been living for the past 40 years. He used the staff of a shepherd and transformed it into what we later on see is the tool of a transformed life. It's the staff of a deliverer. You see, this is what God does in these in-between times in our lives. He uses them, and then he transforms them when he shows up. He doesn't erase what we've learned or what we've experienced or even the pain of the meantime. He transforms them. Just like the ground around the burning bush when it became holy, when God shows up. The wooden staff becomes an instrument of God when God is in the mix. And this is where I can again give a personal testimony. These last two years of Midian have not been easy. In fact, they've been some of the hardest years of my life. There's been suffering and pain. There's been blessing and joy. There's been waiting and waiting and more waiting. Nothing says waiting like waiting on bureaucracy to turn. There's been refinement in this period that I've never known before. And then in late January of this year, January of 2018, I was traveling down in South Carolina, staying with a friend. I was driving through Fort Mill, South Carolina, and I noticed a sign by the side of the road that said, Midian Roofing. And I thought, that's an odd name for a roofing company. And then this thought, this strange thought hit me. Maybe God is about ready to put a roof on the foundation and the frame that he's been laying in my life in this Midian period. And then over the last five months or so, God has shown up. He's shown up in extraordinary ways through his word, through my circumstances, through friends who would come to me. And it's left me with only one option, falling on my face in worship, taking off my shoes because I realized I've been on holy ground. And I see that all of this Midian has been for a purpose. He's been using these lessons that he's been teaching me in Midian to move me forward as a leader. He has allowed in this period of difficulty the gospel to penetrate to parts of my heart that I didn't even know I had shielded from him. He's used it to prepare my family and my team to get ready to go to a whole new context in a whole new country. And this is how God turns a stick into the staff of God. How he turns Moses, the shepherd of of the sheep, into Moses, the shepherd of God's people. This is how he transforms us if we let him. 
into bold and faith-filled people who will say, yes, Lord, I will do that which you have commanded. He uses Midian and all the difficult lessons that we learn in these in-between places to be the instruments of the next phase of life that he desires to propel us into. But, like Moses, we can, despite all that, continue to say, but, but, but. And in verse 10 through 12 of chapter 4, we see that Moses does that very thing. Beginning in verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now let's be real honest here. For the past 40 years, Moses has not really needed to give many speeches. Sheep are not a very critical audience if they even understand a word that you say. And it's interesting that the Hebrew here in verse 10, Moses literally says, I have a heavy mouth, a heavy tongue. And I was doing some searching on this, and in the book of Acts, we have this passage. We're going to the New Testament here for a second. The book of Acts, you remember Stephen, who was stoned by the Jewish leaders. Before he is stoned, he actually gives a history of the Jewish people from the beginning up till Jesus the Messiah. And he talks about Moses in this period before the burning bush, before Midian, when he was a prince in Egypt. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses had been a man of powerful speech, but now he's saying that, oh, I never was this. I have a heavy mouth. In essence, he's saying Midian has done something to me. Maybe he could have done it as the prince of Egypt long ago, but not now, not in Midian. It's damaged me. Moses is claiming that his natural inability is too heavy to lift and accomplish the task that God is giving to him. Midian, and maybe everything before, has left him a crippled. He's too broken to be used. Have you ever felt that way when God calls you? Because God's response to Moses is immediate and bracing. He says, nonsense. Who gave humans their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Again, it doesn't matter what we say we are. God says that he is. He is in control of everything, even our weaknesses. And he can not only work around them, he actually desires to use them for his glory. And this is what we see him doing all throughout Scripture, is it not? We see Gideon, who was this coward who's threshing in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites, interestingly enough. And God transforms him into a mighty hero. We see a man like Peter, 
who was all talk and very little action, or the action got people's ears cut off, transformed into a leader and a pillar of the Church of Christ. We see Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, turned into the apostle to the Gentiles. And it's this same Paul who writes in the letter to the second Corinthians, chapter 12, verse nine, when he is talking about his own complaint, about his own weaknesses, he says, as he complained to the Lord, the Lord responded and said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will more gladly boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The power of Christ to rest on us somehow makes his power perfect through our weaknesses. I don't get that, but it's true. And this is what we see God doing through Moses. We see that Mr. Heavy Mouth, Mr. Heavy Tongue, becomes the one through whom God speaks his law to his people. And he speaks through Moses to give us the five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. God took weakness in Midian and he turns it into strength for Moses, for his people, and for us. And this is what God desires to do with our weaknesses, to make his power perfect so that he receives glory and so that we are transformed. I want to close the sermon today with two verses from chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Beginning in verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. We see that Moses here has finally decided to trust, to believe, to believe that God is, and that he can be trusted. He finally believes that he is who God says he is, because he's been on holy ground. He's seen his staff, his shepherd's staff, transformed. He's received the promise that God would work through his weakness. But I want to point this out. This decision is not just a mental ascent. Moses didn't just go back to his tent with his wife, Sephora, and his sons and say, God has done such amazing things in my life. Let me just tell you about the burning bush. What a cool day that was. No. There was a call to action. Moses had to move on from Midian. And that action required him to make peace with Midian. He could have easily burned his bridges. He could have said, so long, suckers, I'm out of here. Sheep are behind me now. But he didn't do that. He actually goes back to his father-in-law, to Jethro, and he graciously asks permission to leave. And Jethro is here, his connection to this period in his life, his family connection. And Jethro gives him blessing to go. 
And then Moses still needs to face those residual fears. Remember, he was fleeing as a fugitive from Egypt. And God assures him, those men who are seeking your life, they're no longer there. And Moses believes so much that he puts Zephora, his wife, and his sons on donkeys and starts off for Egypt. And then take a look at that last sentence in verse 20. He took the staff of God in his hand. Think of the wonders that staff will do. Snakes will writhe. Rivers will turn into blood. Seas will part. Water will gush forth from rocks. Through that very stick of Midian, a piece of Midian goes with Moses, and it's transformed into the very instrument of God's salvation and power and shepherding of his people. And this is what I believe God desires for our in-between times, our times of dry, desert places. He desires to meet us in Midian, to tell us who he is, and then who we are, and then what he has for us next. He will work through our weaknesses, not just despite them, but through them, to transform them, to make his power perfect through them. He will take the sticks of Midian. He will transform them into the staff of God. And these are my final questions for us today. When God shows up in our meantimes, will we believe that he is who he says he is? Will we then believe that we are who he says that we are? And will we let him transform our weaknesses into strength? There comes a time when our time in Midian is done. When God shows up and says, go, will we go and leave Midian behind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who says, I am, and that I am is present with us here today. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, for what you want to do in their midst. Lord, I, I pray for those who find themselves in Midian places right now, that you by your power will appear and speak, empower them and use their weaknesses for all that you call them to do. Lord, that your power will rest on all of us as we go from this place today, and that you will be glorified through our weakness, and that we will speak the words that you call us to speak. I thank you for all this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.